Hello and watch the Sweet Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we have Paul Whiteside from The Devil in the Detail. How's week been, mate? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Rob. Very good. Um, looking forward to another action-packed show. There's a lot going on in the, uh, the world of sport in our local area, so looking forward to getting stuck into it. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic. Lots of sports covered uh, this week. Paul, we've got ice soccer, we've got rugby league, we've got football and lots and lots more. Yeah, the Manchester derby as well, yeah, to, to uh, pick the bones out of it. Quite a surprising scoreline there as well. So, uh, yeah, the rugby as well, it's not far off now. Swinton Lions had a friendly game, which, which they won, so we'll be chatting about that as well. So, uh, so some good stuff. Yeah, so what we'll do, we'll start with the ice hockey, Paul, and there's lots going on uh, in the uh, the ice hockey. Uh, Manchester Storm have been um, selected to compete in the Elite Series in 2021. It's basically four teams, Manchester Storm, Nottingham Panthers, Coventry Blaze and Sheffield Steelers, all playing in like a round-robin competition, 24 games, two semi-finals and a final. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to be covering it on the Sports Zone on Solver City Radio. It's always a great uh, you know, game down there at the ice rink in, uh, in Altrincham and it's uh, good to get back in there and, uh, and report on it, Paul. Yeah, it certainly is, Rob. I'm looking forward to the new season. Can you tell us about when the when the fixtures are, are, are being played, the, the first couple of games? Yeah, it's, it's basically there's the the draft uh, for the for the competition. Because basically, the four teams have seventy British players uh, to pick from. So on Monday, there's uh, kind of a draft going on where basically they pick four players which in their squad which is protected from the draft, Paul, which is basically like transfers uh, between the four the four clubs. And then after that, they kind of like have to divvy the, the players up between all four clubs. There's seventy players, like I said, to to, to do that. So it's going to be pretty exciting to see. You Manchester Storm get, um, and hopefully they'll get some you know good quality players, and they'll be able to compete in, in the in the round robin competition because they are a good team. Uh, I know Nottingham are a very good side as well, and Sheffield Steelers will be a will be a big test because they're like the derby the derby contest between Manchester and Sheffield. It's always a, a bruising encounter that one, Paul. So it'll be it'll be fantastic, um, you know, to 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 see what happens there, and uh, we're all super excited about it. What are going to be the expectations for, for Manchester Storm and supporters this season? Is it like a, a big season they're looking forward to or are they are they going to be up there challenging, do you think? Yeah, I, I think they are, Paul. I think like many, you know, sports clubs uh, of of Manchester Storm stature, they just want to get back in back playing again. Uh, and I know they, they rely on, on you know, fans and, and things like that. And it's important that obviously with the COVID situation, um, by the time they start playing, uh, fans will hopefully be able to get back down to the uh, to the old Trugham Ice Rink, uh, the Storm Shelter, and, and generate some some money from from it. And uh, I think they've been waiting a long time to get that uh, you know that buzz back. Uh, and we're all super excited about. It. I am because obviously we, we've not been down, have we, for, for the last few months? And um, you know you're waiting and waiting, and suddenly news like this breaks, and we're all you know buzzing again, ready for for the big game. And Manchester had a good side. They've got some you know good players. Hopefully they can they can keep them in the draft. And, and sort of bring some more more good players in, and then then the, so I can say it's a four team competition, um, and anything can happen. I mean, you've been down there, Rob, when there's been a big crowd, a big a full house there at the Storm Shell. Can you tell the listeners what the atmosphere is like down there? Is it you know, under under the lights? It must be a, it must be a superb atmosphere. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's really sort of family orientated. There's music. Um, there's there's sort of competitions going on off the ice, and it's real real family family club and. 
you you want to you want you bring your family to a, a sport like ice hockey. It's really brutal on the ice, but off the field, everyone's really friendly, really community feel to it. And I'm sure they'll be there uh, come you know game day again uh, and supporting the, the Storm on this uh, this recent adventure. Well, I can't wait for it, Rob. Hopefully, we can get down there and do some reporting because it sounds an absolutely cracking night out. Yeah, it's going to be super exciting, and there'll be loads and loads to to, to get our teeth into on the, on Salford City Radio. Um, let's talk rugby league now, uh, Paul. Um, obviously, Swinton Lions back in action uh, this week. They play Bradford Bulls away from home in, in a pre-season friendly and won twenty six points to twenty two. Good result uh, for the Lions. He certainly was, yeah. I think he's played at Dewsbury that, that game, wasn't it? That's going to be the home of Bradford Bulls, I think, at the moment. And uh, yeah, 26-22 victory, considering they've not played for such a long time. I think that's um, that's a real shot in the arm for them. And particularly from, from what I've been hearing, the supporters were very, very impressed with uh, with Martin Ridyard on his debut. By all accounts, he had a fantastic game. And, you know, he's a real good halfback, a real good organiser. And, you know, he's played, you know, a decent level for, for Lee Centurions throughout his career. And, you know, I think he's been a real astute signing for Stuart Littler's men, and um, you know they'll, they'll be looking at him this season to to be the pivot there in the middle, and, and for the other players to play off him. But they've got they've got a decent squad there, and uh, you know we've said before the championships are really, really, really tough league. You know, you've got some massive sides in there now, and some real competitive teams, and some very, very ambitious teams as well, and sides that are looking for promotion and, and want to play in Super League in 2022. So, you know. It's going to be tough for Swinton, you know, on their budget and, and things like that. But I know there's some very, very ambitious people there on the board at the Swinton Lions, and they want them to compete and do well. And you know, I think we've got to give them the respect they deserve. They, they've done well in the last couple of seasons. Obviously, last year was affected by the pandemic, and their season got cut short. But the year before, I thought they did really well. You know, come up with some surprising victories down there at uh, the Haywood Road where they play. So they they've got another big season ahead of them, and I think they'll be looking for a for a good draw in the Challenge Cup as well if they can get a good cup run. But uh, but Swinton Lions have got an exciting uh, exciting season ahead of them. Yeah, try scorer for Swinton was uh, Jack Hansen, Mike Butt, Geronimo Doyle, which is I think the best uh, name in rugby league. Uh, Dean Meadows and Rodri Lloyd all went over for the Lions, and like you said, Stuart Littler fantastic coach for, for Swinton Lions and, and he's got some players there at his disposal and off the field Swinton Lions are also developing Paul and you're hoping this season they can kick on I know in the championship it's kind of a sort of a two sort of two leagues in one league but if Swinton can be top of the top of the bottom in a way uh, they'll be happy with that yeah I think that, like I said I think they've got they've got ambitions there at Swinton and I wouldn't want to talk them down too much I think I think they've got a really good chance of doing well obviously the squad's probably not as big as, and, and as, as rich as some of the other the other sides but they've made some good signings as I mentioned there uh, Martin Ridyard but they've also got some some stalwarts who've been there a long time I'm always impressed with Rodri Lloyd I, I believe he's been there you know, quite a long time not at Swinton and uh, part of the uh, the cornerstone of that side and Mike Butt as well always impresses me very very quick player and he, he seems to come up with uh, plenty of Try so they've got they've got the players there to, to cause problems. They can just keep the, the side fit. Uh, Stuart Littler seems to be learning all the time. He's, he's sort of earned his spurs now and done a real good apprenticeship there at, at Swinton, and he's learning all the time. And, and, and the Swinton Lions seems to be getting better. So it's a big test for them this season. Um, I'm sure they're they're capable and they can uh, they can have a really good year and hopefully finish really well. Yeah, because that's what it is. It's it's about development for Swinton Lions, and you know. Previous seasons and previously years, financial issues that have come into play, Paul, and you're kind of hoping all that is behind them now because they've, they've got the quality in the team and also the su- support. They might not be big in number, but they've got very good passion. 
They certainly have, and they seem to be settling now at the, at the ground where they're playing in, in, in Sale at Haywood Road. They've, they've made that their own, really. I've been lucky enough to go down there a few times over the last few years watching them, and it's always a good atmosphere down there. And well, the crowds have been building and um, and growing, really. So uh, this season, they've got some some big derby games as well. I mean, they were hoping to grow the home support, but you'd expect Lee to travel there in numbers and uh, some of the other clubs as well. So, uh, so yeah, I'm expecting it to be a really good season for them. You've got Bradford Bulls who are in that, that league and York City Knights who are dead ambitious as well, Featherstone Rovers. You've got the French side, Toulouse Olympic. So, you know, some fantastic teams in that championship and some real mouth-watering fixtures if Swinton can make that, that, that little ground they've got down there a fortress. And they can knock some teams off down there and become really competitive and sort of spread the word locally as well. And uh, you know, rugby league's probably not the massive sport in this area with, with the likes of the football teams and that. But if Salford and Swinton can keep shining that light and play attractive rugby, you know, this sport can really grow. Yeah, we're interested in what this do with uh, with Toulouse because obviously I think the the clubs in the RFL want them to kind of forfeit their home fixture, don't they, to play in England, especially with the COVID situation, it'll be difficult to, to travel to France and back without sort of quarantining for 14 days because Toulouse aren't classed as a sort of elite sport because sports team because they're not in the top division, are they? So it'll be interesting to see what happens really with, with the likes of Toulouse in, in that division. It will be, it will be. And I've just seen today that the, the, the Super League have announced that it's going to be played on a points percentage. Yeah. Again, due to, I think that's breaking news, isn't it, this evening? So that's the... Uh, I wouldn't say it's a worry, but in a way, I'm glad that the Rugby League and, and Super League have got contingency plans in place. You know, we don't want it to be become like um, sort of a head scratcher halfway through a season. As long as they've got something there and, they, and you know they're preparing for it, I think that's a good thing. But like you say about Toulouse, I think it's going to be a tough one for them. That I mean, they're a professional sports team, so you, you think that they'd be classed as an elite team, really. So it's going to be tough for them, but. Uh, Let's hope it uh, it goes off without a hitch. And I think the important thing is all the sides can play the same amount of games this season. I think it, even though it is going on a percentage base, I think if they all get through the fixtures and fulfil the fixtures, I think you know it's a success and it's an improvement on last season. Yeah, talking about the win percentages in 2021 season, the Super League, they say that 70% of the fixtures have to be completed um, to, to gain access to that top playoff spot uh, or Obviously, if you get enough league points in under eighteen games, then you can then you can get into that playoff. Uh, they also say that you have to postpone the contest between you and another team if seven players or more come down with with COVID. And also, the difference between last season and this season is players can move between sort of academy and senior sort of squads, and the senior squads and international squads. When last season they couldn't move, but they can move now as long as they pass uh, the lateral flow tests, which is the the quick tests that they get that people have to check if they got COVID or not. Which means basically that teams like Salford do have access to academies now, uh, academy players, which means they can bolster squads if players go down with COVID? Well, yeah, yeah. so uh, I'm not so sure how many, many players we'd have there to, to, to choose from, really, but I think it's better in a way. Um, and I think from a positive note as well, people are, are getting vaccines now, aren't they, as well? So hopefully when, when the season does start, it'll be getting around that time where people of certain age groups, the players will be, will be getting vaccine, won't they? So uh, hopefully they won't be testing positive in the first place and we, and we can play the fixture. So I think, I think things are moving in the right direction, Rob, but it's good that they've got all these protocols in place to keep people safe. 
Yeah, and also, on the 31st of May, uh, players who are coming out of contract, Paul, can obviously talk to other clubs and decide on their futures, which I think is important, because obviously Rugby League is only a short career, and these players have to look after themselves, but the RFL have moved the deadline from the, the 31st of April to the, th- to the 31st of May, or the end of April to the 31st of May, so they can obviously give them extra time, because the season starts... Early, so it starts later, which means that deadline gets pushed back a month as well. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Not being a real big fan of that 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 ruling. Um, I think yeah, perhaps a player wants to get sorted out, but I think sometimes it's probably better if they don't announce things and just keep it a bit quiet. Because sometimes it does open a bit of a can of worms, doesn't it? And you get people saying, "Oh, well, he's been tapped up and things like that." But yeah, it's, it's always gone, and I'm sure you know things will happen uh, happen this season as long as it's not none of our players that are moving on, or none of our superstar players anyway, because uh, you know we've lost a few, haven't we, for this season? So uh, let's hope they don't start unsettling us. Yeah, because I, th- I think what it is, it's all out of the play, you see. I think it's up to them to remain professional and stay at a standard. Because sometimes, some players, you can see them drop off because they know that the the future secure and, and they want to keep themselves, you know, injury-free going to, into the next season. But some players can can deal with that and, and continue to put in the, you know, the great performances that the fans want to see. And it's, it's I think it's all out of the player and their mentality, really. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, if you're a professional player, you want to do well week in week out, don't you? Especially for the supporters that idolise you and you know, and, and ultimately pay your wages, don't they? So uh, any any player worth his salt really will will give that hundred hundred percent every week, won't they? So uh, so yeah, it, it's been strange, hasn't it? Sometimes you've seen players who who've signed for somebody else and things like that, and it, it, sometimes it looks a bit awkward, doesn't it? But uh, but we'll have to watch this space and see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. Talking about Salford, um, obviously with the new fixtures coming out, Paul, they've come into they come in a, a situation where fans only a certain amount of fans will be allowed into a stadium, possibly down the line. So they've had to think about how they're going to sort of divide people up to 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 be able to get tickets. It's probably a nightmare situation, really. Probably for other clubs who have thousands, sort of ten thousand season ticket holders, uh, to to be able to to decide who goes in and who doesn't. Yeah, it's probably going to be a bit difficult. But as I said before, things seem to be improving, don't they, slowly but surely. You know, touch wood, I don't want to jinx anything. I mean, you're thinking, like, down the lines this year, if everyone's had a vaccine, people might not be getting tested and and, uh, people will be testing um, negative for it. So, you know, rules might get relaxed a little bit more so then the crowds can can go up. And it all depends on what the the government say, I suppose. But I think they're doing it the right way, you know, rewarding season ticket holders and and things like that and the the squad builder members as well. You know, people who are, I'm not saying they're more a bigger fan than somebody else, but you've put your money where your mouth is and and bought your season ticket, haven't you? So, again, it might not be too bad for us because I don't know how many season ticket holders we have, but... uh, but yeah, it'll be nice. To, it'll be nice to see crowds back, Rob. You know, no matter how many it is, even if it's just a thousand or, or two thousand. I mean, it's, it's been tough for the players last year. You know, playing in front of, you know, basically a few press people and a few stewards or whatever. There's, there's hardly anybody there on the ground, is it? I mean, particularly like the Challenge Cup final, very eerie at Wembley. You know, in a, in a, crowd, in a ground that big. So uh, I think the players will, will definitely thrive off that. Yeah, Salford have, have decided, Paul, uh, to do it in four categories. They've got season ticket and squad builder members uh, as the priority uh, season ticket uh, and squad builder member tickets. Then you've got season tickets, then you've got squad builder only, and then it's open ballot. So I suppose the people who buy the, buy the season tickets and also part of the squad builder uh, put a lot of money into the club and they should be looked after first. 
Yeah, certainly, certainly. I mean, I'd like to give a shout out to the people who bought a season ticket last season as well and, and, and donated the money back to the club. I mean, that's as good as doing a squad builder as well because all the people who've had season tickets for donkey's years and we didn't go to many games last season, did we, at Salford, if you, if you remember rightly, probably about five games or something like that. So I don't think it was that. Was it four or five home games? So, you know, credit to those people who donated the money back as well. But, yeah, there's people who put an awful lot of money in your sponsors and your squad builders and people who buy season tickets, you know, year on year. So let's just hope they can they can get back support in the club. I know people have, have really enjoyed watching Red Devils TV and I think our friendly uh, this weekend coming up is going to be on the on the on the Red Devils TV I think as well so people can can watch that and I'm sure the supporters are absolutely desperate for it now, aren't they? And and ready to watch it. It's been a long time since I think it was Six of November, I think our last game against the Wakefield Trinity. It seems a lot longer than that. It seems ages ago. Yeah, I I think really though, talking about these categories, why didn't they do a, a supporters trust category? Because obviously not all people are season ticket holders, uh, but they still might sort of do a lot for the club through the supporters trust. So I, I think it would have been possibly a good idea to, to include that would have given the supporter trust a, a, a bit of uh, publicity and a, a bit of a uh, limelight on them as well and it would have been I think good but obviously the, the that wasn't discussed or, or wasn't decided against Yeah I'm not too sure on that I, I, don't, I wouldn't mind knowing the statistics I mean you probably find a lot of people who are in the supporters trust maybe season ticket holders anyway um, I'm not too sure how that works I mean for me if it, if it was me selling season tickets I'd probably say when you when you sell them, do you want to join the supporters trust as well? You know what, just try and advertise it like that, give them a leaflet with a season ticket and just get them to join it. Because it's not a lot to join. Is it ten ten pound? I think it is to join now with a optional fiver to go to uh, the uh, the foundation reserves and things like that. So um, you know, it's a good thing to be in. I think it's a bit like you know the old supporters club, really, isn't it? the old supporters association that, that we all was in years ago, forever heads, things like that. So anything you can join like that and get behind the club, I think it's great for the club. It just gives a bit more money. Um, and, and just helps out, doesn't it? It does, it does. And obviously, at this time of the year, pre-season friendlies are occurring. Salford face Wigan in a friendly on the 14th of June. Like you said, you can watch it on the, the, the R-League app or, or Red Devils TV. It'll be great to get a few games under the belts uh, and give us a, a little view into what's to come in 2021. Yeah, 14th of March, Rob. Um, it's Mother's Day, I think, isn't it, this, this Sunday? So, so it'd be nice to, uh, to to see a game there. And it, You know, normally you would play perhaps a championship side, wouldn't you, and then warm up to a Super League side. But with it being pretty difficult this time, Richard Marshall and everybody's uh, his backroom staff there, they've obviously plotted to, to play Wigan in, the, in this friendly. And you know, it'll be a tough encounter as well. You know, Wigan have made some, some good signings, haven't they? And they're going to be one of the sides that you'd expect to be, to be challenging for honours as well. So it's a big test. Richard Marshall and his first hit out was uh, some of the new signs we're hoping to see, you know, as well, which will which will be good to uh, to get a game under the belts and just add to their fitness because, you know, from what I've been hearing, they've, they've been training the house down, haven't they, and uh, and doing really well. And you you want to pick yourself against a team now, don't you, and get that match fitness. So the season's not far off, is it? The twenty sixth of March. So uh, so yeah, looking forward to that. The weekend it should be a good test. Yeah, I think it's great that they've got a, a Super League friendly because. Previous years, like you said, we take on championship sides and League Two sides, and you, you see the players kind of like feeling themselves in when you play against Super League opposition. Straight away, they know that that that's the level they expected to play at, and then they can they can work the way around it. Because sometimes you can build up, Paul, and then you get to that Super League level, and and you realise that you you haven't got 
enough games in the tank to get to, to get to that level, and it takes you a while to to get there. But now you're going straight in at Super League level, and, and you've got to you've got to perform. Yeah, you certainly have. You certainly have. And uh, you know, look at Wigan from last season. Got all the way to the grand final and played the epic match against St. Helens. I mean, what a fantastic game that was. So they'll be looking forward to to bouncing back this season and going one better, won't they? So you, you know what you're going to get with Wigan. They're a very, very tough outfit, very tough professional outfit. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to that game. And it is, it's a massive test. The players are going to have to be up to speed straight away, aren't they? And uh, after that game, dust themselves down, a bit of rehab and a couple more, well, another week or so of training and then they're straight in for the first league game, which is against St. Ellen. So it's a, it's a tough start to the season. And we've got Hull, I think Easter Saturday, haven't we? So it, it's a difficult start to the season. So Richard Marshall's going to have to be spot on with his with his team selections. And, you know, just looking at that, it's going to be difficult for him. We've, we've got, you know, a really good squad there now, in my opinion. You know, plenty of backs and three quarters to choose from. We, we've got quite a few half backs and guys who can play at six and seven and a decent pack of forwards as well. So uh, he's, he's going to be using this game, you know, to gauge how people are doing in training and how much progress they're making and try and get his, uh, his starting 13 nailed on. So, that's all the Rugby League chat uh, on this week's show. Next, we've got James Sweet from the Sweet and Salter podcast. Uh, looking forward to talking all things UFC, James. We most certainly are, Rob. There was a cracking weekend of action and I can't wait to break it down with you. Yep, so let's start with the, the big UFC news. Last week, we previewed the battle between the light heavyweight and the middle heavy, middleweight champion and it was a bigger man who retained his title. He did. We broke down this affair between Yang Blahovic, the light heavyweight champion, and Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion, who is daring to be great and moving up to try and get a second world title belt in a new weight class. Early on, Israel Adesanya looked sharp. He was clearly the technically superior kickboxer, which we talked about last week. But Yang Blahovic's size really began to tell the tale over the course of the fight. He grew in confidence throughout. It was Probably the biggest fight of his career, this one. And he began, he, as he began to land shots, it was clear they were taking their toll on Adesanya. The power and strength of Blahovic was mounting. And by the end, towards the fourth and fifth round, Blahovic was getting those takedowns, securing them well, dragging Adesanya to the floor. And Adesanya didn't seem really to know what to do. Blahovic just seemed far too big for him in those moments as he rolled in with punch after punch after punch in a ground-and-pound effect. Then Adesanya struggled, and Jan Blachowicz had his arm raised, and overall, I think he deserved it. I had him winning this one. The commentary was somewhat questionable. Israel Adesanya, you know, is a future star of the UFC. They absolutely adore him there. But Blachowicz won the fight, and I'm glad that he got the decision. Do you think the champion deserves more recognition than he gets? A million percent. Jan Blachowicz is the ultimate fairy tale story of mixed martial arts. I think he had eight losses on his record before eventually going on to become a world champion. He's beaten a who's who in the light heavyweight division. And even in his world title fight, he was an underdog. He won that. He then becomes the underdog again, defending against the middleweight world champion. And I feel it's time that people put a bit of respect on his name. He's got legitimate one-punch knockout power. He's a fantastic grappler, and he has a real will to win. I think he could be a light heavyweight champion for a very long time to come. Who does he fight next, James? Uh, Glover Texera from Brazil would be the next obvious option. He's in his 40s now, and a lot of people felt Glover Texera might be somewhat over the hill. But as of late, he's put together a five-fight win streak against some of the best in the UFC. He's looked absolutely fantastic. And in his own right, it'd be a fairy tale for him 
to come away as a UFC champion in the latter stages of his career. It's two nice guys and two guys who I think right now are the best two light heavyweights on the planet, and that's definitely the right matchup next. Does Stylebender have to go back to middleweight? Yeah, for me. Uh, I think he looked too small at light heavyweight. And although he was able to compete with Blahovic, I think the domination we're seeing at middleweight means that really should go back there. I think that's his real weight class. He weighed in at 200 pounds when the light heavyweight limit is 205 pounds. So it's clear that, you know, after the weigh-in, he wasn't particularly going to rehydrate a lot. So Blahovic probably had a 25, 30-pound weight advantage on him, which is simply too big. So Adesanya, for me, should move back down to middleweight. There's rematches with the likes of Robert Whittaker there. There's a fight with Liverpool's Darren Till. I think the bigger matchups for him now are at middleweight. And maybe down the line he can try and be great and win another light heavyweight title. It's uh, it's International Women's Week this week, uh, James, sorry. And the greatest women fighter of all time defended her belt yet again. Is there any, anyone who can challenge her? Well, it's nice that you say International Women's Day, uh, Rob, because she's done all women proud, Amanda Nunes. And I think with the demolition job she did at the weekend, absolutely tearing Megan Anderson apart. The fact she's beaten all these fantastic contenders, all these former champions like Ronda Rousey and Chris Cyborg. I think she goes away from being classed as the best female fighter of all time. And she's in the discussion with the best female athletes of all time. You know, the likes of the Williams sisters and people like that. I think that Amanda Nunes very much has to be in that conversation. And for me, there's nobody really that can challenge her. Valentina Shevchenko a few years ago gave her a very tough fight. So maybe you could do that rematch. But aside from that, I think Amanda Nunes beats absolutely everybody with ease. And I don't think there's much competition at all, Rob. And as I say, she's really paving the way now for women in sports and women in mixed martial arts. And it's fantastic to see she's a true inspiration. The Bantamweight World title fight ended in very controversial circumstances, James. What did you think? It's a very interesting fight. Aljamain Sterling and Petian went to war for the bantamweight world title and Aljamain Sterling's an iconically elusive individual to fight he fights in very bizarre ways very unorthodox and he won the first round but he set such an incredibly high pace that he gassed out by the second and it just felt that his corner was giving him incorrect advice so we're telling him to keep doing these unorthodox things but it felt like when he just kept it simple he was landing better Petian began to get used to the things that Aljamain Sterling was throwing, and he just looked silly at times. He was missing left, right, and centre, and Petian took ascendancy. He won the second round. He was cruising through the third round. And then he throws a stupid illegal knee to his uh, to Aljamain Sterling, which cost him his world title belt. Absolutely mental stuff. He was well on his way to retaining his championship, and now he's lost it for an absolute moment of madness. Some people are saying that Aljamain Sterling quit or became or looked to find an easy way to become a world champion. Of course, he then got the belt because Jan was disqualified. I think Aljamain Sterling was concussed and didn't really know what was going on. I think it's fair to say that there has to be a rematch. But Petian only has himself to blame for losing this world title belt. Final uh, UFC uh, question, James. England's next title hope returns to action on Saturday. Are we expecting a big performance? We are. Leon Edwards, he's been out of the octagon for two years now, and I think he's the best British fighter by a country mile. He's fantastic in the cage, but he's not particularly got a massive following on social media, and I think that's cost him in terms of getting big fights. He doesn't, you know, sell he'll sell tickets. He doesn't draw the needle, and I think that's prevented him from getting his world title fight. But if he gets a win this weekend, he'll be very hard to deny. He very much deserves a world title fight. He's won eight fights back-to-back. He, he 
you know, he's on the cusp of winning nine back-to-back. And I think if he gets a big performance in this weekend, I expect him to against Bilal Mohamed. I think he'll be competing for a world title soon, Rob. And it'll be uh, very exciting times if that happens, uh, James. Uh, that's all the, the UFC. And now we've got James and Paul talking boxing. We do, and Paul, there's a lot to talk about this week, but I'm going to kick it off with some British interest. We've been talking about this fight for months and months and months, and it's finally been announced. Josh Taylor, the WBA and IBF super lightweight champion of the world, and Jose Ramirez, the WBC and WBO champion of the world, will finally fight to unify every single belt in the division, and it's stuff of dreams are made up, Paul. It's a great, great fight. Can you break it down for us? Yeah, it's the fight we've been waiting for. It certainly is. I think Josh Taylor has been very, very impressive, hasn't he, over the last few years? And you know, the uh, the Titan Tornado is his, his alias. Uh, he's known as. He deserves this fight. You know, he's he's done tremendously well in, in previous fights and and beaten everybody comfortably. I'd say in the last eighteen months, anyway. And uh, now he now he's got the the fight of his of his dreams probably. And uh, now it's a chance to to unify the division and. You know, real, make a real, real household name of his himself, and I'm sure he will do. He's, he's, he's a super fit lad, super, super boxer, super chin, super quick, and uh, I'm looking forward to this one, mate. I, I really am. If Josh Taylor pulls this off, he'll be the first fighter since Lennox Lewis to unify the division to win every single belt, and he'll be the first ever in the four belt era. Of course, the WBO wasn't recognised when Lennox Lewis won it, so. Where does that rank him amongst the best British fighters of all time if he pulls this off? Because he'll have achieved a feat nobody else has. I think it'll put him right up there. I think he's already made great strides in his career so far and been very, very impressive. And you've only got to ask people within the sport, you know, pundits, fighters, commentators. You know, his um, his stock really has risen, as I said, over the last eighteen, you know, two years, eighteen months. Eighteen months. I think he's been tremendous. And this is going to be a big fight, though. You know, Ramirez. He's no mug, you know. Let's get this right. It's going to be tough. And as we saw it a few weeks ago in the in the Josh Warrington fight, sometimes you can come in expecting big things and, and get brought back down to earth. So he's got to be switched on for this one. He really has got to leave no stone unturned in training. You've got to go that, you know, you've got to go in the trenches in your in your training and, and put yourself through hell because it's going to be a really really tough fight. But yeah, I hope he pulls it off and really can't wait to watch it. Should be a great fight. Yeah, it's a very important thing you said there, Paul, in terms of, you know, Josh Taylor not being able to look past Ramirez. And it's weird because fans seem to be doing just that. But Jose Ramirez, you know, is a unified champion in his own right. Do you think people are underrating Ramirez? I mean, he has wins over the likes of Maurice Hooker and people like that. I was just going to mention the Maurice Hooker fight there. I mean, that was a, that was a, a good knockout that against a, a real tough fighter. So you got to look down his record there. He, he's beat some really good fighters, hasn't he? And... Uh, you know, to be uh, to be an unbeaten fighter, twenty six and oh, I think he is. So, um, you know, he's he, he's no mug at all. He's, he's a dangerous fighter. He's got a terrific engine, and um, you know, a whole sort of repertoire of punches as well that he can pull out of the bag. He, he's quick. He's he's a fit guy as well. He'll, he'll go the distance if he needs to. So, this again, it's a it's a dangerous fight, and we and we've seen that over the last couple of weeks on the on the fight nights we've watched on the telly against you know some of the best of British have been brought back down to earth haven't they you know Josh Kelly a couple of weeks ago and, and the Josh Warrington fight you know two boxers who you know if you look at the bookies they had those two guys odds on to win those fights and they were, they were well beaten by, by, by good fighters um, so sometimes 
you know, you've got to be, you've got, you've got to be switched on. You can't look past this one. This is a massive fight for him, and he, and he, like I said, he can't leave any stone unturned. He's got to go into that and just put all his energies into this one. Now moving over to the United States of America, Paul. We have a great fight this weekend in the super flyweight division. Juan Estrada defending his world title against Roman Gonzalez. It's a unification. Roman Gonzalez bringing the WBA title into this. And Chocolatito has been one of my favourite fighters for many years. You know, he's paved the way in those lighter weight divisions. I mean, last time out he beat Cal Yafai, and he's been looking absolutely exceptional as of late. He's had a real resurgence since a couple of losses a few years ago. Is he capable of one last huge win, or is Estrada going to be a step too far for the man from Nicaragua? I think it's... Yeah, I'm going to go with you. I think... Yeah, I know he's one of your favourites, and I think he's got one more big with him. You know, terrific athlete, and you always think that the, the fighters like that have got that one more fight in them. So I think it'd be a bit of a fairy tale for yourself, and uh, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping he's got that one more big performance, and I'm sure he's he's trained the house down for this. And you know, I can I can see him just uh, just nicking this one, but it's it's a it's a fifty fifty one for me. I think it's gonna be a very very tough fight. And, I would say it would probably go the distance this one and there won't be much between them at all. You're probably talking a cigarette paper between the two fighters. Yeah, certainly an exciting one and I can't wait for it. I'm going to move you now over to the Southern Hemisphere, Paul. We've got a couple of stories there. We've talked regularly about Joseph Parker over the last few years that maybe he's looked a bit stale in some of his performances. Maybe he needs a new trainer. Well, he's just left Kevin Barry, who's been his coach for a very, very long time. I've said I think this is the right move for him. Do you agree? Do you think it's the right time to move on from Kevin Barry and look for a new trainer who can maybe take his game to the next level? Yeah, it's funny. I was speaking to one of my friends about Joseph Parker yesterday and, you know, a couple of years ago, I remember uh, one of the lads in my gym mentioned him to me and I didn't know a lot about Parker at the time and he was raving about him saying what a terrific fighter he was and he's going to, you know, he's going to unify the division and do this, that and the other and for whatever reason, his career seemed to sort of plateau, didn't it? And, um, He's not. He's not. I wouldn't say he's a small guy, but he doesn't seem to carry the the sort of super weight that the likes of Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua, you know, you know, carry. So I don't know. Is that something he needs to look at? Because he's impressed me. He's an impressive fighter. He's, he's a tough fighter. I mean, no one ever finds him easy at all, do they? But does he need to adjust his game to get back up there? I mean, he's still got time on his side, and he's a very talented, talented fighter. So. I still think there's unfinished business with Joseph Parker, and if a new trainer can get the extra, um, you know, ten percent out of him, or change change the way he fights, put a bit more weight on him, I'm not too sure where he needs to go. But I don't think he's finished at world level. I, I still think there's, there's big fights in him, and I still think he's got an awful lot to offer as well. So, yeah, good luck to him. This could be the um, could be the transition that he needs. And the other big heavyweight from that region of the world, Lucas Brown, had his first press conference with Paul Gallen. It was a very feisty one. Insults were exchanged left, right and centre. And something I want to ask you about, Paul, is that Paul Gallen made a couple of jives at Lucas Brown for a failed drugs test. Brown in the end was clear, but, you know, the scars of that night remain. Paul Gallen, to my awareness, had a couple of scandals himself within the rugby world, a couple of failed drug tests. Is it fair of him to then, you know, throw houses when he lives in a glass uh, throw stones when he lives in a glass house no no he shouldn't have done that really I think he should have a bit more respect for Lucas Brown I mean you know Paul Gallon's probably got all the respect in the world and rugby league community for what he did in the sport over a prolonged period of time but I think he's fairly new to boxing now he's had a few fights I think but Lucas Brown's never ducked anybody and I mean you're probably the same as me Lucas Brown's not the best boxer in the world far from it but 
he's one of the bravest. You know, one of the bravest I've seen in the ring. He's, he's never ducked anybody. He's been called upon. He stepped in and, and fought some of the best in the world. But he's all about levels sometimes. He's not probably at the elite level of an Anthony Joshua. But, you know, he's. Um, I think he deserves a bit more respect there. So I think that was a bit... Yeah, like you said, people in, in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. But this is what builds fights up. You know, people love this. Promoters love it. The, the fans love it. You probably find after the fight, those two will have, will have, a, have a pint together and... Um, you know, in shake hands. So it, it, it's sometimes that bravado's there just to sell the fight, isn't it? And all adds to the excitement and the, and the razzmatazz. You do still get the, the quiet boxes, don't you? You don't like all that. But a lot of it these days is, you know, the fight is sold in the press conference and, and at the weigh-in as well. They can be really, really feisty. But that fight between Gallon and, and Lucas Brown, I think it's going to be explosive. That I don't think that's going to go more than a couple of rounds. I think both those two are going to come out swinging and it's going to be a real, real sort of, uh, sort of shootout. For those who didn't follow Paul Gallon's rugby career, just how good a player was he, Paul? Um, Paul Gallon wasn't sort of a match-winning player. He wasn't like a halfback who'd, who'd win a game for you. Paul Gallon was was a was more of a warrior, a pack warrior. You know, a real, real tough forward. He was a sort of player who'd do, you know, countless amounts of tackles in the game, countless amounts of carry-ups. You know, charging a ball in it. You know. In a car crash, crash collision with another forward, he was that sort of player. He's a player that probably do the tough stuff and the stuff that they not always recognise. You know, people on the telly had probably watched the guy scoring the the great tries in the corner or kicking a great conversion off the touchline. Whereas Paul Gallen was a he was a warrior, yeah, a, a warrior forward who'd do all that unsung sort of work. So, yeah, and and he went on for a long time as well. You know, playing right into his thirties. So, uh, so yeah, terrific player at international level as well. State of origin, real leader for uh, for, for New South Wales. So yeah, he'd been a, been a terrific player, household name, and he was a player that I would have loved to come and see play over in the Super League for uh, for I mean, for Salford. If we could have signed him, it'd have been a great acquisition to our squad because uh, you know he's a player that probably put the put the fear into the opposition really you know uh, a player that you'd be you'd be wary of and you'd, you'd have your eye on all the time so yeah um, a player to strike fear in your hearts really and he may not fear anyone but something that I did notice Paul which maybe would be a source of concern for Gallen when they faced off with each other the height difference seemed absolutely enormous Brown looked about you know six or seven inches taller than Gallen it really was big do you think that size is going to play dividends on the night well, you shocked me there, really, because I always thought Paul Gallon was a lot taller than that. So I suppose it just shows how, how big Brown is. Um, yeah, that could come into come into play. I mean, you'd expect Lucas Brown to have the have the reach advantage there. But having said that, I don't think Lucas Brown's that sort of fighter that will pepper someone off and keep him off with a jab. He's more he's more of a rough and tumble fighter, isn't he? Brown, he, he likes to get in there. He likes to have a brawl. He likes to make it messy. Um, I don't think he, this is all respect to him, I don't think he's the sort of guy who'd have the ring craft to, to keep someone off with a jab and, and fight at distance. So that could be, that could work in Paul Gallon's favour. I don't think, I don't know, I think Gallon's had about eight or nine, maybe ten fights. So he's not, you know, he's not a complete novice himself. So it should, it should be fireworks. I think it really should be fireworks. And these are the sort of fights we love, aren't they? The grudge matches, the matches that are, you know, are built up on the on the scales and at the press conferences and the and the, the trash talking that we've had there. I've just been reading today that that, that Cash Alley in, in in Great Britain wants to fight with David Price again, and that that fight was sold in the press conference, wasn't it? And uh, you know the first fight they had. So these 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 fights are really really tasty sometimes and, and capture the public's imagination. Yeah, they most certainly are. And somebody who was capturing the public's imagination on Saturday night was Clarissa Shields. And we regularly talk about how Katie Taylor, you know, could be the best woman's fighter of all time. But, you know, she had a couple of questionable 
decisions against Delphine pursuing. Clarissa Shields has now become an undisputed champion in two weight classes. I don't think that's ever been done before. And surely now, is she head and shoulders the best woman of all time? Or do you still think the likes of Katie Taylor are on the same league or maybe even above? No, I think I think maybe around around the same league. I think Katie Taylor's got got things that she'd like to do in the sport, more ambition that she's got in the sport. But no, it's it's tough, isn't it, when you're comparing people sometimes and comparing people's legacies, and you, you don't want to be disrespectful to somebody else. But everyone's doing things in their own right, aren't they? So I'm sure Katie Taylor's still got ambitions, but uh, but no, she's had a fantastic career, and uh, you know, good luck to her with the rest of it. Well, we talked all about how Ryan Garcia's part of. Manny Pacquiao seems to have faded into oblivion. It's been announced that Mikey Garcia is now back in the running for that fight. And is that one you'd like to see, Paul, or would you like to see Mikey Garcia step back down a weight division or two? Um, I'm not too sure on that one, to be honest with you. I mean, we, we know with Garcia, we're going to get you know tremendous fights, no matter what weight division he's in. But I suppose that's one for him, really, now, isn't it? How he, how he wants to go and you know, how, he, how he, the, he's taking the toll on his body and what, what he finds comfortable with is, is he. You know, progresses on in his career, so it's a no. It's a it's a, fun, it's a funny one. That but these are the fights we want to see, though, aren't they? these these great world ones and you know across the pond as well as there's some great fights being talked about at the moment. And you know, with COVID at the moment, we, we're not seeing you know massive fights being made. We're still waiting for um, you know some of the big fights in this country, the the Joshua Fury one. But I'm hoping this this year and maybe early stages of next year, we are going to see these massive fights because uh, we've missed them, haven't we? We've missed these box office events over the last 12, 18 months. Yeah, just a couple more for you, Paul. Tommy Fury is going back and forth at the moment with YouTuber Jake Paul, who's set to step back into the ring on April 17th against former Bellator and one champion uh, athlete, Ben Askren. This YouTuber has fought a couple of people in the past. You know, he's not a basketball player. He's wanted to fight people from the MMA world. But now he's going back and forth with Tommy Fury. And maybe that makes sense from a business standpoint. You know, you've got a YouTube star versus a Love Island star. But do you think he's forgetting maybe that Tommy Fury does has a very, very extensive background in the sport of boxing and maybe this would be a step too far for somebody from the YouTube world to fight somebody who has the experience of a Tommy Fury? Yeah, and I think I think you're right. I think you're spot on. I think from Tommy Fury's point of view as well, what does he want to be remembered for in boxing? What how does he see his career career progressing? You you don't want to be retired in with like this I'm looking for the right word to use here. You don't want to become the word I'm looking for is it's sort of a circus you know where you're fighting people in all right I'm, I'm not being disrespectful to this youtuber but you want to be known for being a boxer so you don't want to be known for being a gimmick and, and things like that so he needs to think about his career and how he wants his career to go because you know most boxers step out on the road they want to go as far as they can you know be British champion be sort of English champion British champion European champion Commonwealth champion world champion and that's the way you want to go and you want to you want to fight decent fighters, don't you? So while you're stalling and, and, and doing things like this, it might make you a bit of money, but is it going to be the, the legacy that you want to look back on in sort of 20 years' time when your career's finished? So I don't know, really. I've not been that impressed with, with Tommy Fury recently, so, you know, his, his last fight or so. So I don't know. I think he needs to look at where he's going there. Last one of the day for you, Paul. Tiafimo Lotus versus George Cambosas was won by Triller at the purse bid for over $6 million. It went to purse bids because Tiafimo Lopez could not agree a deal with his promoter's top rank. Unfortunately, now the two have gone to court with one another. 
And are we in danger of Tiafimo Lopez maybe spending a long period of time outside of the ring due to, you know, contractual obligations? I mean, top rank themselves kept Mikey Garcia out of the ring for years. And are we in danger of missing some of Tiafimo Lopez's prime? Possibly. Possibly, yeah. As you said there with Garcia, it, sometimes it goes that way, doesn't it? It can be very frustrating for the boxer, you know, at certain times of their career. You know, it can slow them down. You can't get back to where you were onto that sort of form. So, once these things start happening, it's a worry. It's a worry for the fighter. It's a worry for his, for his team as well. So I'm just hoping that you know it doesn't and it doesn't affect him. Doesn't keep him out of the ring for a long time because these are the sort of things that the you know the pure boxing purists and the supporters don't want to see. Do they? You don't want to see people in these like sort of legal fights and it becomes a bit of a mess, really, doesn't it? So let's hope that gets sorted and uh, you know he gets to carry on his career in the right and proper way. So that's uh, that's all the boxing chat. Now we'll talk football. Uh, Derby day uh, this weekend. Uh, Manchester United were successful. They come out in the tussle against Man City. They won two nil at the Etihad Stadium. Penalty from Bruno Fernandez and a goal from Luke Shaw. James, great result for the red side of Manchester. Yeah, fantastic result, Rob. And I picked it, didn't I, last week? I said I had a sneaky feeling that Manchester United were going to win one after Fernandez bagged early. I've had a really good feeling about the game. Of course, Shaw scored the next goal. The Manchester City's winning streak has been snapped. And Paul, do you think that'll hurt Manchester City's momentum? Do you think they could have, you know, a couple of losses off the back of this, or do you see them going right back to winning ways when the next out? Yeah, I can see City carrying it on. I can see them getting back to to winning ways. I think. I don't know, it was one of those days today for Manchester City, wasn't it? I mean, it was always going to be that. I spoke to a good friend of mine in the week and he's watched Manchester City for a long time and he was saying, I can see him getting beat on, on Sunday. And I kept saying, well, I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, we're doing really well. But no, I think yeah, most Manchester City supporters of a certain vintage, I think they were sort of expecting that today. All runs come to an end at some point, don't they? And, you know, Sod's law, it, it comes to an end at home to your bit of rival. So I think Manchester United did an awful lot of credit for that win today. You know, they, they got the tactics right and, and frustrated City and, um, you know, a good result for United. Yeah, terrific one indeed. And do you think that'll give us a boost of momentum going into our fixture this week, a big one against AC Milan in the Europa League? I think it will. I think it's an important fixture uh, for Manchester United. But obviously, looking back at the City game first, James, before we talk about the AC Milan game, I think it was a defensive masterclass from Ollie's men uh, to score early. And then obviously Man City, who have lots of attacking potential in, in De Bruyne and, and Sterling, you know, they probed United, but United's defence stood firm, James. And, and, that, and that's that's the important thing when you go to places like the Etihad and, and Anfield and, and, and other top, top teams, you have to defend well. And, and I thought they did that against City. I agree. I think Manchester United's defence at the moment is looking really sturdy. I mean, people talk so regularly about the fact that we need to buy in defenders, but days like today make you happy with how our defence stands at the moment, Rob. Are you happy with the players we have at the moment defending us? Well, they're doing well, aren't they? I mean, the players that, that I've criticised in the past, the likes of Fred, uh, know their role in the side and, and they do what they can do. Yeah, it's not the perfect Man United side, but they are playing well. And to go to City and get results shows they are on the right track, which is important going forward because we need to be able to perform well, continue to win. And obviously, Man City, Paul, 
are going to win the championship this year. That's that's no question. But I think it's important that Ollie's men keep winning, keep performing, and and obviously people will see that. And then moving into next season, uh, United can continue on with that momentum and then look to trouble City from twenty twenty two. So is it a given that City are going to win eleven points in front now? With is it ten games to go? So there's still thirty points to play for. I mean, yeah, you would say Manchester City are in the in the box seat now, aren't they? The, the, the driving seat. But like we were saying before, you know, James said, do I expect them to, to win the next game? I do. But sometimes defeats can hurt you, can't they? Knock your confidence. So it's a big couple of weeks now for City. It really is over the next sort of two weeks. They need to get straight back onto it because if they don't, Manchester United pick a couple of results up. You all of a sudden you're six, five or six points behind, and then. You know, he's staring down the barrel of the running. So it's a, it's a it's a pivotal couple of weeks for City. You know, they need to to get back on the horse. But United, I think it's give them a, a real confidence boost today, a real confidence boost for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well, who's who took a bit of flack over recent weeks. So very pleased for him. And uh, you know, let's see what United can come up with in the next few weeks. They need to back they need to back that win up now. Do you think the Bruno Fernandez penalty was a penalty, James? Yeah, I think so. I think the foul was made and, you know, there's been a bit of controversy around it. Not everybody thinks it's a penalty, but I personally would have given it. How did you feel about it, Rob? Yeah, I think what it is, when you've attackers kind of running across the box, you're asking for a challenge, aren't you? Jesus made that challenge because he'd given the ball away seconds later and he's trying to get it back to make amends and strikers aren't the greatest defenders in the world. That's why they're at the other end of the field when... when team to set out and I think Jesus just decided to, to dangle a leg and Martial saw that and he, and he fell over and, and penalties are given for far less uh, Paul bit of a bit of a problem uh, for City conceding that early conceding that goal early uh, but they, did, they definitely had a goal Man United and United were hanging on the nerves weren't they they certainly were but I thought they defended really well and um, defence was good, and it has been recently anyway. We, we've said that about both the Manchester clubs. Defence has been been solid, and I think that's what's got them, particularly United, got them where to where they are. Um, for me, the penalty, no, I thought he went down like a dying swan, but that, <laughs> that's just my opinion. No, I'm only joking. No, I, I thought I thought it was a penalty as well. So, uh, But no, I thought Manchester United got what they deserved today. City got what they deserved. They didn't deserve to win the game. They were beaten by the better side, and I think most Man City supporters will, will hold their hand up over that. I mean, the one surprise, well, maybe not a surprise, you just mentioned there about going to, to Old Trafford, going to Man City, going to Anfield. I think going to Anfield at the moment, it's a, it's a free gift, isn't it? The three points again today, losing against Fulham. What, what's happened to, to Liverpool? They just seem to have dropped dropped completely off the, off the face of the earth, their form at the moment. I agree with that. I think the problem is Liverpool, James, they, they had their eyes on the Championship and that's after, whatever it was, 27 years of not winning it. To win it takes a lot out of you, and I, I feel that they didn't have the mental strength to to back that second season up. Because it's always the second season that that troubles teams. They win the championship, and then the next season they struggle. As they say, it's really hard to win it. It's even harder to defend it, and Liverpool have tried to do that, and it just feels like the pressure has mounted on them and just become a little bit too much. I mean, at the moment, they're currently standing in eighth place in the Premier League. You know, the likes of West Ham and Everton and Tottenham, they've all gone ahead of them. And Liverpool just seem to be struggling more and more and more. And there's no real end in sight for them. I mean, something that could be brought into the picture is that Anfield has been a bit of a fortress, hasn't it, over the last few years. And 
Liverpool's home form this season hasn't been particularly good, Rob. Do you think if there had been crowds in, Liverpool could have had a very different season? Definitely, definitely. I think the cop uh, and the Anfield Road end, you know, they have a, they have a, a special effect on on Liverpool, don't they? And you know, them sucking the ball over the over the goal line, and teams get afraid, don't they? You know, with all the all the chanting and the shouting and the screaming, and you can see players wilt, can't you? Uh, and I think fans not being in the stadium really has affected Liverpool, and, and I'm sure they'll be they'll be praying to get back uh, in the cop uh, soon. Looking forward to to these this week's games. City have uh, Southampton at home and Fulham at home. Paul, um, opportunity to bounce back. Yeah, certainly. As I said, pivotal time off Manchester City. You'd expect two two victories in, in that those two games. But as you said before, there about the, the, the crowds not being there, it, it seems to have taken a bit of a toll on on some teams this season. City have been like a machine, haven't they? At times, and I, I would expect them to to get back on the arse and, and get a victory. They need to really just to keep that that cushion in front of Manchester United. James United have AC Milan on Thursday and then West Ham on Sunday. A big game, AC Milan. Um, obviously, opportunity for Oli to win a trophy. Yeah, AC Milan, you know, at one point, one of the best teams in the world. And AC Milan, a great side. And there's, you know, there's a, an element of rivalry there. I mean, they've been a fantastic side. And it's one, you know, in European competition in Manchester United, AC Milan, it's always going to be a big game, isn't it? So it's a hard one for Manchester United. But I'm hoping with the momentum they're carrying in off the City game, the way the defence looks at the moment, and the fact that we just seem to be slowly coming into the Manchester United of old, I think we'll win it. Do you, do you think the the problem might be that second the Premier League, they've got to keep sort of performing at the higher level and then go in Europe and back it up uh, the next game? Do you think that's going to be a problem moving forward? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, they've got this game against AC Milan, but after that, you know, you'd favour Manchester United to win most games in the Europa League. I mean, I picked us to win it and I think we will. AC Milan, probably one of the toughest teams to play, but then when that's out of the way, you know, in Europa League games, the, you know, opportunities do come up every now and again to play slightly weaker sides. So I don't think that Manchester United will struggle too much with the fact that you're playing in the Europa League and in the Premier League. It's not like, you know, the Liverpools and the Cities who are playing Champions League football and Premier League football, you know, where you need your strongest lineup out week in, week out for every single game. Yep, uh, two minutes to go uh, on the show. Let's talk about our uh, Sol- our other club, uh, Salford City FC. They drew one all with Scunthorpe uh, this weekend, uh, James, and obviously that promotion target is drifting away from them slightly. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, Salford at the start of the season, you thought maybe could there be another, you know, another chapter to the fairy tale? But I think all in all, this Salford journey is going to be over a few seasons. I don't think they would have been quite ready to go up to League One yet. So I think it's going to be good for them to have another season in League Two to improve that a little bit more and maybe go again next season and maybe end up in League One after that. But I don't think they would have been ready. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that, you know, uh, promotion hopes are slightly fading. Yeah, I think consolidation is important, Paul, because obviously they've on a bit of a run, you know, back-to-back promotions and, and sometimes they need a season to settle. Yeah, but League Two, you should look at League Two at the moment. It's so tight, it's so open there in, the, in that, that league. You've got nine points separating the, the top nine in the table and you gel them on the top. So Salford City are only a point off the playoffs with the game. And I think one side that's sort of surprised me recently has been Bolton Wanderers. They seem to have propelled themselves from the bottom of the table into, into the playoffs. I think they're 10 games unbeaten now. So, you know, it can soon change around in that league. So I think there'll be an awful lot of twists and turns towards the end of the season. I've noticed today Oldham Athletic have sacked Harry Kuehl as well from uh, their management position. So it's a very tough league that league uh, league two 
yet. Uh, they faced Crawley Town on Tuesday, uh, James, and then they got Portsmouth in the EFL uh, Trophy final on Saturday. Big, big game for the club that uh, if they can secure a win there. Yeah, humongous game, isn't it? There's nothing better than winning silverware. And I think Salford will be really, really up for this one. Portsmouth, a really good side, you know, not so long ago we're in the Premier League. It's a very big team for Salford to be playing. But you know what? I fancy them. Portsmouth aren't the Portsmouth of old. And I think Salford have an opportunity here to pick up a big, big title. Got a minute to go, uh, Paul. How important is it that Salford bring the trophy home on Saturday? Yeah, it's, it is important. Yeah, it's, it's a trip to, to Wembley, isn't it? And um, you know, and that that football league trophy is, um, you know, it's not the be all and end all, is it? But it's a it's a trophy for those sides in the lower leagues, and they take an awful lot of pride in that as well. So I think that give them an awful lot of confidence going forward. I mean, it's always great to have a day out of Wembley, isn't it? It's just a shame they can't fill it with a load of supporters. But no, wish them all the best. But like James said, Portsmouth be a tough prospect. Forty seconds to go, James. You got a score prediction for me? Salford in an absolute thriller, 3-2. 20 seconds to go, Paul. What about you? What's your score, your score prediction? 2-1, Salford. 2-1, Salford. I'm going to go for Salford to win uh, 3-0. I think there's going to be you know, a time. Uh, Wembley, you know, they'll be able to etch it, etch it into their history and it'll be something exciting for us to talk about on the Sports Zone next week. Big thanks to the Sports Zone uh, this week on Salford City Radio. I'm Brian Parkinson and don't forget to tune in next week for more Salford Sporting Chats.